few announcements to share with you. Uh, the community group uh, will be meeting this Tuesday, 6.30, here at church. on at uh, And the 6 o'clock, I still said 6.30, didn't I? Thank you. I'm stuck on that. Uh, 6 o'clock, the community group here at church. And Women of the Lord uh, meets Thursday at 10 a.m. again here at the church. And uh, about the first week of March, we'll be taking in the socks and jackets. So if you have any socks and jackets that you want to, to uh, either bring here in the next couple of weeks on Sunday, or if you want me to come by and pick them up, give me a call. And uh, we'll be glad to do that and get them up there to the rescue mission. In the area of prayers this morning, certainly continued healing for our nation. And uh, Diane Van has asked uh, specifically for prayer for, she has carpal tunnel and uh, it's creating creating quite a bit of pain for her. And then a good news is uh, Jim Bragg in remission with his cancer which is going to cause his tests to be further apart, uh, the um, things that he has to take care of. So uh, we all celebrate, uh, praise the Lord with him for that, with him and Kathy. So uh, just good news. So uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank You for your op- the opportunity to come to You. You tell us that we are to bring our needs to You, to ask for Your mercy and grace and to do so with confidence. And so we come to You, bringing our needs. We do cry out, along with all of the the churches in our our nation, uh, for healing for our nation, uh, and and also uh, concern for all of those uh, that are having issues with the uh, COVID-19 virus that's going around and and uh, the, the need to get the vaccines out, all of these things, we come to You and ask, Lord, that You would work these things out to Your perfect will. We also uh, pray for Diane. Ask, Lord, for uh, relief of the pain and don't hesitate to pray for the miracle of healing uh, for her arm for the carpal tunnel, Lord. And we celebrate with Jim and Kathy as the good news of... of uh, we can. Continue report of remission and and uh, the, the larger gap between uh, having to do his uh, medications and stuff, and we just uh, thank you for that, Lord. We also want to take a time to pray this morning for uh, the weather across our nation, uh, causing problems, especially on the roads, even here in California with mudslides and all, and and snow in the in the foothills and and up in the Sierras, and all of the the, the snow and, and, and ice that's uh, in the Midwest and back east. And we pray, Lord, that You would uh, cause people to be cautious, to be out only when they have to. And uh, we just ask for Your covering over this situation as well. Again, we thank You for Your love, Your mercy, and Your grace. And as we open Your Word this morning, we ask, Lord, that You would open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. One more announcement before uh, we get into the Word this morning. Uh, there is a uh, virtual event, it's called, uh, with the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Imprisoned for Christ. And just let me read this note to you. 
We, are, we uh, Redwood Christian Fellowship, are hosting a virtual event by Voice of the Martyrs on March 5th. That includes an evening of speakers sharing their personal experiences, being imprisoned for their faith, times of worship, and a panel discussion. If you are unable to attend with us, contact an elder and we will get you a link that will allow you to watch it from home. So, uh, and check on the, uh, your, the website and on the email. We'll have information for that as well. So, in prison for Christ, there's uh, three guest speakers. Uh, Peter Jasek, who was imprisoned in Sudan. Andrew Brunson, who was imprisoned in Turkey. And Dan uh, Bauman, who was imprisoned in Iran. And they each have testimony to share. It should be really very, very interesting. This morning we're continuing as our reading is going along in our reading through the Bible in the year. We're continuing our sermons that line up with each week with some of the reading that we're doing. And today we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 22 through 24. And somebody's going to say, well, yeah, but today is 17 through 18. We're not there yet. But we'll get there, so you're getting a little pre-picture, a little ahead of a heads-up view of what's to come this week in your reading. And so uh, we're uh, going through Numbers chapter 22 through 24 today, and actually I'm going to add to that uh, uh, chapter 25, uh, a little bit of that as well. Uh, and what we're looking at is the story uh, that the Scriptures tell us about Balaam and Balak. And it's really very, very interesting. To uh, get a, a good beginning on this, I'm actually going to start in the book of Revelation as to getting an idea about what's going on here in, in the, the book of, ba- uh, of, of Numbers with Balaam, especially. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, uh, as uh, Jesus is speaking to John about the church in Pergamum, uh, he says this, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching or the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So, as we go into Numbers, and we're looking at this, understand, this is how Balaam is known through Jesus, and he's spoken to, it's the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam. And obviously, it it's, deals with immorality, false teaching, false prophecy. And so, I wanted to get that Scripture heads up so that, uh, you can get an idea before we even start reading in Numbers what is going on there. Uh, we also find in Second Peter, uh, uh, in chapter two, where he is uh, Balaam is named among the false prophets and teachers, and again in Jude chapter eleven, or chapter eleven, <laughs> verse eleven, <laughs> uh, he is uh, mentioned as uh, a false teacher. So. Uh, Let's go to Numbers chapter 22 through 25. Chapter 22, verse 1. 
says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox looks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab, uh, at that time sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pithor, which is near the river uh, in the land of the people of Ammon, which is the Euphrates River, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me. Since they are too mighty for me, perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So, Balak, the king of Moab, is calling Balaam from the Euphrates Valley to come and put a prophecy or a curse, actually, over the nation of Israel. Now, what has happened here, and give you a little bit of, of, of stuff that's come ahead of this, think about all that you know about what has happened with God leading Egypt, I mean leading Israel uh, out of Egypt and, and conquering different uh, enemies along the way. And just recently in chapter 21, uh, defeating the king of Sihon and, and the king of Og, which were large, uh, had large armies. And so, Balak can look and see, God has blessed these people. And I'm next, is the way he's looking at it. And he's saying, they cover the, 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 the land. They're, 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 they're going to come and devour us. Uh, I, I, I need an extra something to help me. Oh, I will call on the great prophet Balaam. He he had a, 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 a reputation that that was well known because where Balaam is from from Moab uh, is probably four or five hundred miles, and so he calls on Balaam to come, and and we'll go into more details with that in a minute. But but understand again then what we know about this Balaam. Peter says he's a false prophet. That he is a his teaching is 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 false. Jesus says that uh, he taught Balak to to put a stumbling block. Balaam taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel in Revelation. He said that to eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So understand this man Balaam is not a man of of, of God. I'm surprised as I've gone to different uh, uh, commentators on this. Uh, some of them saying, well, he, he, God speaks to him, so he has to have some kind of relationship with God. And I'm going to suggest to you later, that, but I don't believe that that's the case. I think he is an, a wicked and evil man. And, and Balak has called on him to, to come alongside of him to come against the nation of Israel. So, why, again, are they so afraid? Well, because what they see 
coming at them is beyond their ability to handle. I, I put it in my notes because I, I actually copied this from a, uh, one commentator. It says, uh, Balak's plan, get the great soothsayer. Now, the, uh, which is something you wouldn't call a prophet of God. To curse Israel. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them. I like the, uh, the information here. I, I, I look at this. Obviously, Balaam does have supernatural ability, though. If he's not getting it from God, I, I, it's obvious where he must be getting it from, from the demonic. Because it says Balaam's reputation is who he blesses are blessed and who he curses are cursed. And so there is something supernatural going on here with Balaam. And so keep that in mind as, as we read through this. The elders of Moab and the elders of, of Midian get together and, and they go with fees. Now notice what their fees are for. Divination. That's, a, 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 again, a, a negative word in the context of prophetic. Of divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave Balak's message. And he said to them, Balaam says to these messengers, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the words as the Lord speaks to me. Now, the interesting thing here is that he uses in the word Lord. If you have uh, an English Standard Version, it's going to be capital L, large, capital O, capital R, capital D, small. This means Yahweh. Balaam knows something about Yahweh and assumes that he's going to be able to communicate with him like he does these other false gods, the demonic gods. He says, I will bring back to you, and, and he also knows that, that, that Yahweh is the God of Israel who has been blessing them. And I'm sure, because by this time, all of, of the, the area knew what God was doing with Israel and bringing them through the wilderness. It was, so, so he's going to call on the Israelites' God and see if, if what he says to him. And I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes, or the emissaries of Moab, stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Now, God knows who they are. But He's getting Balaam to be integral before him. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent them to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now who has blessed them? Yahweh, God. So Balaam rose in the morning said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Oh, well, 
it's not enough for Balak. And so he tries again. He sent princes more in number and more honorable than the ones he had already sent. And it says, And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. He's up the ante. I'll give you whatever you want. Okay, I'm not just come, I didn't just show up with the fees for divination. I'll give you whatever you want. And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, that should have been the end of it. But you're going to see where Balaam is actually one who is conniving in all of this. Listen to what he decides to do. He says, I, I, I can do less no more. And what has, God's already said no. But here, he, listen to what he says in verse 19. So you two, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them. But only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. He's looking at a second opportunity. He's playing a game here. I want you to see him for what he is. He's a con. He's, he's going to get as much out of this as he possibly can. And so, even though God has told him not to go, he comes back and says, Okay, God, have you changed your mind? This gives you something, some idea about his understanding of God. When God Does God change his mind? No. But yet, interesting thing, God lets him go. Okay, he's given him his way. Okay, you, you want to go? I'm going to let you go. By the way, he knows Balaam's heart. He knows what's in his heart. And he knows the deceptions and things that he's capable of. So he says, but don't go beyond what I tell you. Only do what I tell you to do. Verse 22, God has given, remember, God has given him the okay to go. He says, okay, but go. And then it says, verse 22, but God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took uh, his stand in the way as his adversary. Why would God be angry? Because he goes after he said that you could go. Because the thing that he should have done was to say, now I'm going to go by what you said first. And I won't go. He's got a plan. And God knows his heart. God's angry with it. Now, what, what uh, I would normally ask just the kids, but I'll ask the... the the, the little kids, the old kids, the, 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 <laughs> the middle-aged kids. 
Uh, what is it that we most that Balaam's most famous for to most people in stories? The donkey. You you kids all know the story of Balaam and the donkey when the donkey speaks. Yeah. Okay. Balaam's riding his donkey. He's had this donkey all his life, supposedly, and 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 he he's he's riding the the, the angel of the Lord stands in the path of the donkey. Does this three times. The first time, the donkey veers off to the side and out to the field. What does Balaam do? Gets off and beats the donkey with his staff. By the way, this shows you something about the temperament of Balaam. Then, the second time, they're in a, an area that's been walled on the roadside and it's narrow and, and the angel of the Lord stands in the way. And a sword is drawn, by the way. And the donkey sees it again. And goes as close to the wall as he can, brushing himself against the wall, which brushes Balaam's leg against the wall and his foot and actually apparently you know, roughs, roughs it up in some way. And... Balaam stops, beats the donkey again. Now they get down the road a little bit further and the the, the walls have narrowed into the point where the donkey can't go anywhere. And the angel of the Lord is standing there with a sword drawn. So the donkey just simply lies down. Balaam again beats the donkey. And you know, you, you, you look at this and, and you think, you know, uh, you know, he he should get something, some idea here that there's something wrong with with what's ahead. I mean, he is a what? A, a man of divination, a man who can see ahead, uh, this type of thing. He should be able to get a picture here. This again shows us that, that he's not a prophet of God because he's not able to do that. Now, we get to the point when the, uh, the, 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 after this third beating, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you? You have struck me this three times. And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made me a, uh, made a fool of me. In other words, you've embarrassed me. There are, he is traveling with some, these other Moabites. You know, you're making me look bad. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you and walk the rest of the way to Moab. No. Uh, you know, he's just—you can see his anger, and his—he's—he's he's irrational at this point. And and the and the irony of this is, what did the angel of the Lord have? A sword. <laughs> the donkey said to Balaam, "Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long on this day? Is it not my habit to treat you? Is it my habit to treat you this way?" And Balaam says, "No." 
Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is uh, perverse or reckless before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. And the angel said, then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princess of Balaam. Now, there's an interesting statement right there. The angel of the Lord says, Say only the words I tell you. What was the command that he got from God? Say only the words I tell you. Do only what I tell you to do. There's a connection between the angel of the Lord and God. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but there's two ways that angels, when they're speaking of a singular angel, it's either an angel of the Lord, which is a lot of the references, or the angel of the Lord. There is a difference. Exodus chapter 3 tells us the difference. Moses sees the burning bush. Who is in the burning bush? The angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? I am. Jesus actually uses that name Himself. And John says, I am. And they wanted to stone Him because He was calling Himself God. The angel of the Lord is Jesus. It's a, it's a type. Uh, we were told uh, about types. It's a, a pre-picture, it's a pre-incarnate Christ, uh, and, and He's physically there. He is God, and He is speaking. So, round one, God said, no, don't go. Round two, He says, go, but only say what I am going to say. And then we see, see here, because he knows Balaam's heart, he's, he again gives him this, this idea of, of only say what I say. And, 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 and just use my words. Now, when we get to the, the, on in, in the, the, the references to uh, Balaam and, and Balak, and it gets together. I'm not going to go through all of the oracles and, and the things that are said, other than Balaam and, and uh, Balak get together, and three different times in three different locations, Balaam tries to curse but is only able to bless Israel. He goes with the intent to curse. He, he, he wants to do that. Why? Because if he does, he's going to get all of this wealth from, from uh, King Balak. 
And so he goes with the intent to curse. And he says, okay, God, give me, give me permission, you know, basically. And God gives him the words to say and he comes out to the words that he says are a blessing. Three attempts in a row. By the way, each place that they, they spoke from, they put up altars, sacrificed animals, and in each case, they were areas where the false gods of Moab and Midianites worshipped were the false gods. Baal and, 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 and others. So they were using the worship places of the false gods to try to cur- get a Balaam to curse. And, 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 and God won't allow it to happen. So the fourth time, one more time, they try. Chapter uh, 24, it talks about the fourth oracle or the fourth uh, attempt. And uh, something absolutely amazing happens in my, the way I look at it because verses 15, 16, and 17, well, let me specifically read those. Chapter 24, verses 15, 16, and 17. And Balaam took up the discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of man whose eyes opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see him, but not now. Interesting thought. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. And it goes on to talk about doom and destruction on the, on the enemies of Israel. But do you know who the star of Jacob is? It's Christ Himself with the scepter. There's a messianic prophecy in the midst of all of this from a pagan uh, diviner... <laughs> And, and on the mountain of a, a, a false, you know, worship of false gods. <laughs> and, and what I see in this, why I get excited about it, is it shows God is God wherever He goes, and He's in charge. He's sovereign, period. There isn't any mountain. There isn't any demonic thing. There isn't any diviner. There isn't any king. There isn't any wealth that can... Divert God from His purpose and His plans. Even to the point where He'll make a messianic prophecy in the midst of all their, their, their attempts to, to, to foul up Israel. And so Israel is blessed four times. And it's, you know, Balaam's, you know, Balak is, is disgusted and, and, and 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 so is 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 and Balaam probably is too. And so the last verse of, of chapter twenty four says, Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. You can kind of just see him, oh well that didn't work. Balak's gonna to have to think, now what do I do? Now the transition into verse twenty five, you have to go back and read the verses that I started with. 
in Revelation and, and especially to understand. Because verse 25 just starts right into this. It says, while Israel lived in, in, in Shechem, the, the people became, uh, began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and, and hang them. And then he says, uh, and, and uh, you know, a judgment coming in it. And then he, he sent a plague against them. And it says at the end in verse 29 that 24,000 died. Okay, what? What happened here? Go back to Revelation. What did, what did Revelation say? It was that Balak taught, Balaam taught Balak what to do. He said, we can't curse him through God, but I know the, one of the weaknesses of the Hebrew people. I've heard about it. This is what you do. You send your women in to entice them and they'll fall. Then they'll worship with you, with them, and their false idols. You know, their idols, and they'll eat the, 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 the things sacrificed to them, and they will fall. He went through the back door. Couldn't get in through the front door, so he went through the back door. By the way. There's an interesting part of poetic justice in this. I think it's 31.16. Balaam meets his judgment and dies by the sword when Israel goes through all of that land. You know, you look at this and you say, okay, what can I glean from this? Well, most of the people, the biggest thing to glean is, again, that idea of the sovereignty of God. God is in control. Nothing is going to happen that He doesn't allow to happen. And, and you think about it, and, and you think uh, it takes you kind of back to, to the Satan wanting to taunt Job. He had to ask permission first. And then God said, you can only go this far. God sets the limits. And the Hebrew people fell again, but then God's grace covered them again and He raised them up again. But the thing that I saw for myself here, and I just put it down simply in my notes, beware of the stumbling blocks of Satan. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long enough that you, you really are secure in your walk. You, you, you realize that, that you know, what Paul says in Romans is really true. There isn't anything that can separate you from God's love. There isn't anything that's going to take it away from you. But 
we still find ourselves all of a sudden look at something and realize, oh my gosh, I'm on the other side of what God would have me be on this issue. And the idea is to be aware. Ask God to open your eyes to the stumbling blocks that are out there. The things that would cause you to sin. And maybe you to uniquely sin. Maybe somebody else can do some of these things that you maybe can't do. And, and, and so it has nothing to do with what other people are doing. It has to do with you and God and, and your relationship with Him. And coming to Him and saying, okay, what are the stumbling blocks? That, that are, what are my weaknesses? Where are the things that, that I need to, to be aware of, Lord, in my life that, that I need to, to pray about on a regular basis so that I don't give over to them? How many times had the Hebrew people been a stiff-necked people? By the way, there's an interesting thought in, in all of this. This isn't the old people of, of, of that left Egypt and were rebellious. This was the new generation. We have a propensity to be sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's for believer as well as as, as, as non-believer. And, and, and John tells us, even as believers, that when we sin, confess your sins. And remember that you, you, know, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, before the throne of God. Put in my thoughts here a good way to 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 get a, a picture of this is is to look at uh, some of the uh, put offs or and and put ons that Paul talks about in 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 the letters that he wrote in the epistles here's just just one set of them out of Ephesians chapter four. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting off, what did you put off? He says, having put away or put off falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth. Uh, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him work with his hands and, and be able to share with other people uh, when they have need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. By the way, corrupting talk is putting anybody down. Anybody. Speaking ill of anybody. What if they deserve it? That's God's position. No corrupting talk shall come out of your mouths, but only such as good for what? Building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We're to, to, to put off and, and, and then, you know, and, and, and bitterness and, and, and other things. And then it says, be to, the put on is to start with the idea of being imitators of God. Look at the things that God has in His Word 
and His holiness and desire to have His character invade yours. And it's not going to happen in, in fullness. We're never going to be, as long as we're in these tents, these mortal tents, we're going to be battling sin. So, Paul lets us know this is a lifetime battle. We could give over and say, well, what's the point? And in a sense, I feel like that's what he's, he's making sure we understand when he writes Romans chapter 7 about the law and the sin. And, uh, you know, my mind wants to do this, but my flesh wants to do this, and my flesh wins, and, and, and how we succumb to sin. And he says, uh, in the closing of chapter 7 of Romans, he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and make me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The world does not want to hear this. The world wants to say, good man that I am. Nice person that I am. This is putting yourself down. It's what Scripture tells us. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I'm in a battle, but the neat thing is is what he says next. Chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do I fight this battle? Wretched man that I am, I fight it through Jesus Christ becoming saved. Confessing Jesus Christ with my mouth. Believing in my heart. He is the Son of God raised from the dead. That He's conquered sin. And I recognize that and acknowledge that daily. I confess. I believe. And then I ask the Lord to regularly, continually fill me with this Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an event. It's an ongoing process. It, it says... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it means continuously. I need to ask the Lord on a regular basis, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit, that I might walk in Your path and be using Your words. Jesus Christ come in the flesh, dying on the cross. It's what we, we celebrate every time we share communion together. So, as we come to this point in our service, and, and I would like to, to go to communion, I want to invite the worship team back up to sing a song to prepare our hearts. We have the self serve uh, communion cups. If you didn't get one, they're out on the table in the foyer during the songs. Uh, feel free to get up and get one if you don't have one.
so many different psalms like that talking about to be a blessing in God's eyes. The, the attitude is to have the heart to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. And our praise and our worship is, bless, is a pleasing to God. It blesses Him. And as we develop that habit of blessing the Lord in our praise and worship, we will become blessings to others. All of this, Jesus did, because that's not our, our natural heart. He did through the cross, taking our sins on Himself, paying for them, and then saying, if you will come to Me, confess and believe, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you'll be saved. You will be Mine. And so we come to Him with that confidence and to, to be obedient to what He asked us to do. As often as we would gather together that we would uh, share communion. People ask why we do it every week at our church and not just once a month. Some churches once a quarter. Some churches on communion Sunday once a year. It's because it's an intricate part of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul put it as he was sharing communion with the, those in Corinth. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let's share the bread. He continues, In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Let's share. Father, we do look ahead to the day that You come again. The words, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus, are words that we long for in the sense of saying, Hallelujah, here the Lord has come. But until that day, we ask, Lord, that You would remind us that our our desire needs to be to bless You and to bless others through You and through Your Word. Give us the wisdom and the eyes to see. I I think it sounds funny, but in a sense, You gave the the, the donkey not only the ability to speak, but You gave gave her the ability to, to see You. We ask, Lord, that You would give us the ability to see You, to hear You, to understand Your Word and apply it to our lives. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank You for being here this morning. Thank You for uh, joining us on uh, uh, the, the uh, online and, and on our web. And, and uh, just Lord bless. Have a wonderful rest of the day.
Him in the humble now. 